supported by City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Passage for today's sermon is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 5 to 12. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is God's word. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? It's great to see you guys. I'm excited to be um, preaching from this text, preaching a very, very tough message this morning. Um, the ideal of how should the Christian view this exclusivity of Christ. In other words, there is a claim that is ancient and has, it has been with us. Ever since Christ uh, came to this earth, and that is the claim that only in him there is can salvation be found. Only in Jesus Christ can salvation be found. That is a claim that disrupts and rubs against the culture very harshly because our culture, especially the culture in the West, is a culture of what we call post Modernism, and that is the idea that, or part of in postmodernism, there's a lot of ideas, but one idea is the idea that what's true for you doesn't necessarily have to be true for me, yeah. right? And so, if you say Jesus is your God, that's cool. I got one too, right? And when it's all said and done, as long as long as all of us are worshiping some God, we will find our way into eternal life. We will find our way into what is known as heaven. So this is a tough message because this message rubs against the culture's claim that all of us will get there no matter what God we're serving, right? No matter what, no matter who we call God. I want to first point you to the fact that, that this is a claim that although it's become very popular and gained a lot of traction and even in some, uh, some circles of, of, of Christian Christianity-ism in, in the American West, you would hear this claim being made. This is not a claim that the Bible makes for itself. Alright. So we want to look at the claim that the Bible makes for itself and then examine that claim in light of the culture. Alright. So Acts chapter 4 is actually a, a we, we pick up in the middle of a story when we pick up in Acts chapter 4. A man has already been healed of a of a crippling condition in chapter 3. And, and now Peter and John, two of Jesus' uh, apostles, those that walked with Jesus, find themselves standing before the religious council that has convened in light of them healing this man. 
And when they healed this man, what happens, they're not convening because they healed him. They're convening because of the disruption that was caused in his healing. The response of the council gives us a view into the, the way that the public saw the claim that Jesus Christ was God. We pick up in verse 1 and it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Greatly annoyed. The public didn't view Jesus, notice this, the public did not view Jesus as simply an alternative among many gods. They knew what the disciples, the apostles were proclaiming when they went about proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. They saw this new budding movement as a disruption to the other faith that was, that was in the land at the time. And it was a disruption due to its, its Due to its exclusivity, they arrested the disciples because they were annoyed that they were teaching that in Jesus there was resurrection. They weren't just simply saying in some God, just believe in any God. And, it, and if you believe in any God, eventually maybe you'll find your way to eternal life. No, the apostles were preaching that in Christ, Jesus was eternal life and resurrection. This wasn't an optional take on Jesus or a just kind of leave it if you desire it but if you got something else out there go ahead and pick it up this was a claim that left room for only the triune God as being the God of the universe and salvation only being found in the Son of God Jesus Christ we see this position in history actually and we see this position currently in other places and other lands first let's start with history as you think about the Roman Empire which is basically where Christianity was sprouting out in the midst of Roman reign and Roman rule. It began, Christianity began to be faced with intense persecution in a pluralistic and polytheistic society, meaning that Christianity began to be persecuted in a place where people had no problem laying claim to many gods. And so the question is, why would Christianity be persecuted in a place where nobody had an issue with many gods being worshipped? The Romans weren't necessarily opposed to religion. They had gods all over the place. What they were opposed to was disruption. And in particular, disruption of the state religion. In other words, as long as Caesar could remain Lord in the hearts of the people, they could claim whomever other God they wanted to. Christians, however, in ancient Rome refused to succumb to that ideology, to refuse to succumb to that thought. Some of the Roman critics rightly observed that Christians refused to offer sacrifices and respect the state's images, the state's, um, the state's keepsake and statues. And this brought persecution. This is why the Christians were attacked. Polycarp was one of the early church fathers. He was actually a disciple of the Apostle John, all right? And he was one of the early church fathers that was persecuted in Rome because of his position in the faith. He was one of the ones that refused to reduce Jesus to being just another God among many gods. So after being given several opportunities to recount on his claim, 
and to denounce his claim that, that the exclusive saving power of Jesus or, or the exclusive saving power for all men was found in Jesus and Jesus alone. He was given several times to renounce it. He wouldn't. Instead, Polycarp responded in this way. He said, 86 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? When I, when I hear those words, I picture Polycarp sitting in an old missionary Baptist church. That sounds like something that one of the mothers would say. Do you hear me? 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Even today, our brothers and sisters overseas in China are facing increasing persecution because they refuse to let Jesus be just another God among many other gods. In February, there was a regulation of religious affairs passed in China, and, and, and when it passed, Christians began to face with increasing scrutiny for their faith many, many particular oppositions. For example, online retailers were, were banned from selling copies of the Bible once this was passed. And crosses on church buildings are being demolished, um, are being demolished and not only in church buildings, but also in the homes of Christians. And churches are being forced and threatened into joining religious organizations controlled by the government of China. And they are also being forced to hang the national flag or to sing secular songs praising the state and political parties doing their worship. And children of Christians are being banned from entering churches and receiving religious education. Pastors are being arrested and some are being arrested even in the midst of service, in the midst of worship. Halfway through, they're escorting pastors out to jail. To this, to all of this, our Chinese brothers and sisters have responded, not with a uh, you know, let's just pick another religion, right? Because all of them going to get us to heaven anyway, right? So let's just, let's just pick up another one. That's not how they respond to this. Sit instead, instead, instead of saying, well, they all lead to God, so let's just pick up another one, whichever one they ask, and if whichever one they approve, they've even given us a version of Christianity that they're okay with, right? It's one that they control, but they're okay with that, so let's just pick up that one. That way we don't have to worry about the persecution that comes. No, that's not how they respond or how they're responding. Rather, to this, our brothers and our sisters have responded with several hundred pastors signing a joint statement. And it begins with these words. Listen to this. We are a group of Chinese Christians chosen by the Most High God to be his humble servants, serving as pastors for Christian churches throughout various towns and cities. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that the one true and living triune God is the creator of the universe, of the world and of all people. All men should worship God and not any man or thing. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that all men from national leaders to beggars and prisoners have sinned and they will die once and then will be judged in righteousness. Apart from the grace and redemption of God, all men would eternally perish. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that the crucified and risen Jesus is the only head of the global church, the sole savior of all mankind, and the everlasting ruler and supreme judge of the universe. To all who repent and believe in him, God will give eternal life and an eternal kingdom. 
And it goes on and they say, we are even more obligated to proclaim good news to the authorities, the ones that are persecuting them. And to all of society, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Savior and King of mankind, in order to save us sinners, was killed, was buried, rose from the dead by the power of God, destroying the power of sin and death. In his love and compassion, God has prepared forgiveness and salvation for all who are willing to believe in Jesus, including Chinese people. At any time, anyone can repent from sin, from any sin, turn to Christ, fear God, obtain eternal life, and bring great blessing from God upon his family and country. And then they close with these words. For the sake of the gospel, we are prepared to bear all losses. Even the loss of our freedom and our lives. That doesn't sound like, let's just pick something else. All of it leads to God. That sounds like a group of people that are thoroughly convinced that it is only in Jesus Christ that salvation comes. But it's not just our Asian brothers and sisters who were willing to die for the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, or who are willing to die, rather, for the exclusivity of Christ. When you look at verse 5 of this chapter, chapter 4, it says, On the next day, their rulers and scribes and, and elders gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they acquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Yeah. The Spirit of God testifies of Jesus being the only way. Peter begins to lay out this exclusive claim, and the scripture begins by saying what? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So this Holy Spirit was dictating the words that Peter was speaking. And what did Peter speak? He spoke an exclusive claim about Jesus Christ. The healing testifies of Jesus being the, being the only way. When, when they were asked under whose name do they lay claim to this healing, the apostles speak without hesitation. Let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man, this man rather, is standing before you well. But then the words of these men, the continued preaching of, this, of these men, testify of Jesus being the only way. These are not alternative words for this group of people. It's not just a truth, but it is the truth for them. Looking back at chapter 3, after they healed this man, we hear Peter preach a message. And when he preaches a message, this is the type of things that we hear him say. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Whom heaven must receive until the time of rest for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, listen to this, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, that's Jesus, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. 
And it shall be that every soul, listen, who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. They said, if you didn't listen to the prophet to come, the prophet being Jesus, in the minds of the apostles, you set yourself up for destruction. They did not say, well, if you don't listen to him, maybe you'll maybe listen to somebody else. And whomever you listen to. That's not what they were convinced of. Amen. And by the way, as they were speaking, they were speaking with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, who is God. It's not just here in, in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 that we hear about this exclusivity. We also see it in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 begins a, begins a story, an account about, about, about a man in Caesarea by the name of Cornelius. He was a soldier in, in the Italian cohort. And, and, and the scripture says about Cornelius, he says, it says this in verse 2 of chapter 10, that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. In other words, Cornelius, under our, under our standards, was a good man, a righteous man who did righteous things. And yet, and yet, by the time we get to chapter 11, and Peter is beginning to tell the other apostles and the other disciples of Jesus about the story where he went to Cornelius, shared the gospel, and the Holy Spirit came and testified that that family, too, was eligible for gospel, for gospel outreach. And they received the message of the gospel and were saved. Peter says this about that family. He says, the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare, listen, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. He will declare a message. What message? The gospel message. And the gospel message will be what saves you, Cornelius. The devout man, the righteous man, the one that does good things, the one that the one that gives alms to the poor, the one that is walking or serving or looking to God and seeking out God, what will save him? None of those things. The message will. Praise God. And so it's not just simply let's do good things. And if we do good things, all of us will get there. You in order to in order to understand the 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 in order to understand the nature of salvation, you have to understand the nature of your problem. The nature is not that you are in a bad balance as it relates to good works and bad works. The nature is that you can't solve that problem. There is not enough good works for you to do in order to enter in. That's the nature of your problem. The nature of your problem is, is according, to, according to Paul and Romans, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. And thus are in need, not simply of just doing enough good things because you won't be able to do enough, but are in need of someone else to come and take the punishment on your behalf. The reason why there is an exclusive claim to Jesus is because Jesus has the only answer for our plight. Yeah. 
He has the only answer for your issue. They were so convinced of this that like, that, like our Asian brothers and sisters as they suffer even today, the apostles were so convinced of, this, convinced of this that they were not willing to concede for the sake of convenience this exclusive message. Here's what they share when they are instructed to be quiet. So they're disrupting everything in Jerusalem. 5,000 people believe the message and, and, and begin to walk with, Jesus and, and walk with Jesus and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's a disruption in the religious and economic makeup of a city when that happens. And so the council is saying, hey, listen, guys, if y'all want to worship Jesus, you do whatever you want to do, but just be quiet and don't tell anybody else about that. Let people just live their lives and do good things. They'll be okay. And this is what they say to them. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them to speak or teach at all. To not speak rather or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, listen, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. You must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And so what Peter and John say to them is, listen, guys, the only thing we're sharing is the truth and we can't stop sharing it. No matter how inconvenient that truth becomes, no matter how difficult it becomes for people to hear it, no matter what comes of our lives when we share it, we can only share the truth. This is all we have. So the disciples, the public was convinced that what the disciples were preaching was an exclusive Christ. And the disciples themselves were convinced that what they were preaching had to be and exclusive practice. So why do we struggle with this? I mean, what, 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 is it that, what is it that's going on in our minds when we begin to kind of wrestle with this? When we begin to say that there's more than one way to God, why, what, what's going on there? What are we saying? And even, even, an even more direct question to ask you is that when we say that there's more than one, more than one way to get to God, the, 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 the direct question that asks you would be, says who? Mm -hmm. yeah. Says who? Who says that? I mean, I mean, why does that have to be true? None of the major religions make that claim, by the way. There has been no, there has been no declared revelation knowledge from above that has been recorded of any sort that makes that claim. So why does it have to be true? Just because we say it, it's true? Just because society says, well, this is the way it needs to be, and so we're just going to make it so and will it so? 
Just because we, in our finite and limited knowledge, can't see it any other way. Why does it have to be true? If, and, and if, and if all roads lead to God, what if, what if your God or my God, the one that's going to lead me into eternal life is a tree that believes humanity should discount other people in favor of taking care of flowers and plants and, and because flowers and plants are more precious than humans and thus if a flower or plant is ever threatened then you should kill the human. Is that God sufficient for salvation? And if not, how do we determine that? If all roads lead to God, who's to say which one is which? And, and whether, whether one is more righteous than the other? Who, who makes the rules in this, in, this, in this assumption that we carry about all roads leading to God? You see, the idea that all roads lead to God, it sounds good. And believe me, I have struggled with it and wanted to even convince myself in times. In times past, at an early age, of this idea, but it carries no weight. It is, it is sort of a make it up as you go approach to faith and religion. Yeah. Not only that, but do you see what happens once such a claim is made? The claim itself becomes its own exclusive claim. So if you tell me that all wrongs lead to God and that all of us are right and that and that all of us will be included when it's all said and done, and I respond, no, that's not right. All of us are not right. There's only one God, and there's only there's only one with truth. And you say, what's the natural response? Well, you're wrong, right? That's not right. You see what just happened? Well, if I'm wrong, then then we all can't be right. So, so therefore, what you just told me about all roads lead to God, apparently don't all lead to God. Because I just told you that there is exclusivity and you said, no, that's not right. No, that is not true. So all of our truths are true. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. There is one truth. There is objectivity and we have to find that truth. See, what ends up happening is that we even become the people that say that all roads lead even have exclusive claims to make for themselves. Because they say all roads lead except that one, right? Not that one, but the rest of them do. And what happens is we, with limited knowledge and limited authority and limited power, now have made exclusive claims for the universe. We speak on behalf of the divine. But what makes your claim so much more authoritative than others? You see, the issue isn't someone making an exclusive claim. That's not the issue. The issue is whether the exclusive claim made can actually be backed up. That's what matters. Not that you make an exclusive claim, but can your exclusive claim be backed up? And that's where Jesus steps in. Because Jesus, he himself, made an exclusive claim about himself. He said in John chapter 14, verse 5 and 6, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responded to him and said, I am the way. I am the truth, the truth, the way, the life. And then he says that no one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets to God 
the Father except through this one row, which is through me. Jesus himself made that claim. And so as C.S. Lewis once said, and we've talked about this before, when Jesus makes a claim like that, we can't say to Jesus, oh, bless your heart, that is so sweet of you, right? <laughs> you and all this power of yours, right? Making these big claims. But Jesus, you got to know that there's plenty of other ways besides you to get to God. I mean, yeah, we'll worship you, but everybody else can worship who they want to worship Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. If, if, if Jesus makes that kind of claim, then C.S. Lewis says three, we have to take three conclusions from that. One is that he's a liar. If we say that he is not the only way, and he says that he is the only way, then he's a liar. Or he's a lunatic. He's not a liar, he's just crazy. He believes what he's saying, but 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 nobody else should believe that. Are you crazy, Jesus? Or the only other alternative alternative is that he is actually Lord. Yeah. And that what he said was true. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus is not only does he make a claim like that, but he actually backs it up. He comes to earth. And as sick people are brought to him from to and fro, he heals every matter of disease. When the winds and the waves are battering against boats, that his apostles or his disciples at the time and he are on, he speaks to those winds. He speaks to those waves and he says, peace be still. And they stop. The disciples say, who in the world do we have on this boat? <laughs> That's Brian Crawford's translation. They, they, say, they say, what matter of man is this? Yeah. That even the winds obey. When they, when, they, when they hang out on the, at, the, at, the, at the Jerusalem National Park one day and Jesus is preaching and, 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 and everybody's there, he says, how are we going to feed these people in the disciples? Oh. Peter, how are we going to feed and, 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 and Jesus says, does anyone have lunch? And, and a little boy brings two fish and five loaves. He says, that's plenty. And he begins to feed thousands off of this two fish and five loaves. What is he doing? He's backing up the exclusivity of the claim. When he goes into the grave, slumbers for a few days, and then he resurrects, and he leaves the testimony for all of the people to witness. Mary, Peter, John, and they all run back. And they move on from that day willing to give their lives to that truth. Even die for that truth, which they did. What is he doing? He is securing. Or he is laying to rest the idea that what he is saying is a lie. No, what he is saying is true. See, Jesus is the only one that actually cures the sin problem for you and me. Yeah. He's the only one that goes to the cross and pays the penalty for you and me. He's the only one that gives us confidence that even though, even if your credit does not show up on the positive end when you die, 
and you haven't done enough good to outweigh your bad when it's all said and done, that you still get in, not because of your merit, but because of his. He's the only one that does that. He's the only one that looks not just simply to flee this world, but looks to restore this world. Yeah. To bring new heaven and new earth. And to remake this. And to, and to reconcile all things back to himself. And to transform everything. To make it right again. Your issue is not that you just simply need to do good. Cornelius did that. Your issue is that you need a savior. And there's only one. That lays exclusive claim to that. And so can I encourage you to just hold the line on this? When the exclusive claims of Jesus are attacked, what we have to understand is that these attacks aren't just merely the product of a bunch of smart and intellectual people who can't get over the ideal of there being only one way. The attacks actually are more subversive than that. They are the attacks of the enemy. First John, the Apostle John, the one who disciple Polycarp. He wrote in his letter to the church, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Everyone that confesses, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Verse 6, he said, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to, them, to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are deeper things at work when we are wrestling with the ideal as to whether or not Jesus is who he declared to be. Amen. So hold them up. Here's what you'll be tempted to do. In order to make the message more palatable in a society that tells you that we all have the truth, and in order to make the message more unifying in a society that believes tolerance and acceptance are our highest virtues, you will be tempted to tone down the claims of exclusivity in public. The claims that have been made both in the public, the claims that have been made ancient, uh, both in the ancient public and the current public, you'll be tempted to tone it down. The claims that the apostles made, the claims that the disciples of old and new both testified to, you'll be tempted to tone them down. The claims that Jesus Christ is not simply a God, but that he is the God. And if you worship anyone else that's, out, uh, that's, that's outside of him, then you risk eternity. That all roads do not lead to God. You'll be tempted to tone down that message. But brothers and sisters, let me declare emphatically that when you do so, you empty the gospel of its transformative and redemptive power. When you say that it's just a way, it becomes no way. Amen. You see, it was on this very day in Acts chapter 4 that the disciples rose up and declared that Jesus Christ was the only way that 5,000 people came to faith. It didn't, it didn't change, it didn't, it didn't lessen the power, it increased it. See, it was the Roman Empire that heard the message constantly from a persecuted church that Jesus Christ was the only way that was transformed by that message. 
It didn't lessen the power. It increased it. It turned Rome upside down. See, it's that very message that China is hearing right now, that Jesus Christ is the only way that's transforming China. They are seeing more people come to faith than, than they've seen arguably in the history of China. It's exploding. The faith is exploding. Why? Because they've made it more tolerable for the culture? No, because they've made it even more exclusive by saying, listen, this is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. Salvation is found through no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. And on the flip side, when you lessen that, the church doesn't grow. We've seen it happen even in modern society. What happens is the church dies. It becomes irrelevant. Because people begin to say, okay, what's if, if always leave to God? What am I doing here? And go do something else. I'm gonna wash my car this morning. What are you talking about? Why am I here? Preach the gospel that has been given to you. Amen. Because Paul says it's that gospel that is the power of salvation to them that believe. You don't need a new message, family. You need courage to proclaim yeah. the same message. Yeah. The one entrusted to you by the God of the universe once and for all to the saints. So, in closing, this is what I ask you to do. Pray. Yeah. Pray. Pray for courage. Pray that God would embolden you in those moments of conversation where someone's saying, yeah, hey, yeah, you know, I mean, just, I mean, it doesn't really matter all those things to God. Pray that God would embolden you and say, well, brother, now I'm not sure if that's true. Let me show you why. Let me show you what they believe. Let me show you what the apostles of all believe. Let me show you what they died for, what they spilled their blood for. Let me show you what missionaries overseas are, are going and risking their lives for. Let me show you what brothers and sisters over in China are dying for. Brothers and sisters in the Middle East are dying for. Pray that you will be emboldened to share the message with courage and confidence in the gospel and in the God of the gospel. And pray that, that the Lord would do the same in other hearts around you and in the cities and worlds around you and in the countries around you that he would encourage those and embolden those to share that message. Yeah. Speak truth. Pray and speak. Pray and speak. Because you can't just hope that it's going to eventually just kind of connect through osmosis, right? right. Pray, and when, and when God gives you opportunity, speak. Amen. Speak truth. Love people. Because when you love people, you do what? You support the truth that you're speaking. So love well. Show compassion. Show empathy. Show care. Show concern. Because that, that, that bolsters the truth that you're proclaiming. And then lastly, trust God. You can't save anybody. It is, a, it is a message that sounds absolutely crazy. Paul says that, but Paul said it was the foolishness of God. The God, the God told the foolish things to confound the wise. That the message of the gospel is indeed a stumbling block to some, foolishness to others. That they hear it and they're like, I'm just not sure that makes sense. And so understand that you have to trust God with this message, don't you? Amen. That everybody's not going to be convinced of it. Everybody's not going to receive it. 
But family, you know what God did to you. You know what God did in your life. You know the transformation that this gospel message has had. You know the transformation that this gospel message is having all over the world. And so hold the line and preach it until he calls you home. Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you so much for your goodness and grace and mercy. We pray and we ask that you would continue, continue, Lord God, to help us lay claim and cling to the gospel that you've given us. Father, we pray and we ask, Lord God, for forgiveness in the ways that we have not been courageous in declaring it. But we ask for your help. We need your help. Our hearts are easily scared, easily spooked by people. So Lord, give us courage to proclaim the message in the face of those who desperately need it. And Father, give us the um, give us the strength, Lord God, to stand when they when 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 when, when we're opposed, Lord. You declare you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, Lord. Father, may we know your presence most in the face of opposition as we declare your word and declare your name. These things we ask in the prayer of Son Christ. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightpittsburgh.org.